No one likes to see a child in pain from a permanent and inoperable condition, but my next guest was able to do something about the terrible disorder known as neurofibromatosis type 1. She's the chief of the pediatric oncology branch of the National Cancer Institute and a finalist in this year's Service to America Medals program. Dr. Brigitte Wiedemann joins me now. Dr. Wiedemann, good to have you on. Thank you so much, Tom. I'm really happy to be on as well, and you did a good job with the neurofibromatosis Type 1, and the abbreviation is NF1. That's how you mostly refer to it, because it's pretty complex. Sure. And tell us more about the disease itself. What does it do, and, and uh, what's the history of it? So NF1 is a condition that is inherited, is given from parents to children, or it can occur spontaneously, but it is caused by a genetic change in the gene that's called the NF1 gene. And when this genetic change is present, it's present in every body cell of a patient and can cause many different type of manifestations, including tumors that I have focused on developing treatments for called plexiform neurofibromas. Uh, These tumors, why not cancer tumors, can become very debilitating by being disfiguring, by causing pain by causing impairment in airway function and bowel and bladder function. And one aspect that was really important to me is they develop in very young children and grow quite relentlessly during early childhood. And I find can cause many other manifestations and problems, but this is the one that I focus to work on to see if we could develop effective treatments to prevent these tumors from growing or possibly shrink them. And do we have any idea of how many people a year this type of thing affects? Yes, we do. So about one in 3,000 people have neurofibromatosis type 1. So it's not quite that rare. And of the people who have NF1, about up to 50% may have this specific tumor called plexiform neurofibroma. While not all of these tumors become severely debilitating, a subset of these tumors clearly do, and usually during early childhood. And you developed a methodology for researching this to try to get to what you suspected might be something that could mitigate it. Tell us the methodology there. So that's a great question. When you when you look at clinical trials of medicines for patients who have cancers, the cancer tumors typically grow quite quickly. And we can tell within just four to eight to 12 weeks if a medicine is working or not. If we use the same type of measurements that we use in cancer tumors, we would not be able to tell if the medicine is working in NF1 because the tumors grow so much more slowly. So we developed a method called volumetric analysis where we measure the tumor volume, and that allows us to tell if tumors grow or shrink much more quickly. And this was really helpful in the clinical trials that I then designed with new medicines to see if they would help my patients. And the measurement wasn't something you could do over a couple of months. This was 10 years of work, correct? Actually, yeah. So the measurements we started with more than 10 years ago. And now that you raised this, we really learned by using this method how tumors grow when patients don't have an effective medicine. And once we actually found an effective medicine, the Food and Drug Administration, which then approved the medicine, They wanted to see data, how it looks in patients that don't get treatment. And so we have this 10 years worth of data to send to the FDA and they could clearly see, yes, this new medicine is different and changes the natural history of the course of the disease. 
and there was an existing medicine that you suspected might be able to help here, I think it was called salumantinib, and yes. it had failed in breast cancer therapy. And so what gave you the clue that it could work in this particular situation for NF1? Yeah, so we had done a number of clinical trials. And one thing that is important in NF1, when it's mutated, the genetic change is there. It results in upregulation of a pathway called RAS pathway, which is mutated in many adult cancers and upregulated in many cancers. So when I saw that there was a medicine being used in cancers, even though it didn't work in the cancers, I was still hoping that given that this tumor that I'm treating is not a cancer tumor, it might actually work. And we had done a number of trials targeting other components of this pathway, not successfully. So that kind of narrowed it down to this specific drug called salumatinib. We are speaking with Dr. Brigitte Wiedemann. She's senior investigator and chief of the pediatric oncology branch at the National Cancer Institute and a finalist in this year's Service to America Medals program. And there's an emotional content in dealing with children that are in a really bad way in their families, you know, by extension. Any particular cases that stand out for you that you would like to say to yourself, I want to help this kid? Yeah, absolutely. The patients have been so amazing, Tom. Like I have patients who may have been on five or six different clinical trials with no effect, any positive effect on shrinking the tumor. So, you know, seeing like one of these boys who he was nearly 18 when he was started on the salumatinib and his tumor shrank for the first time, these are indeed emotional and these are, you know, victories that we celebrate with our patients But yes, pain, as you already mentioned early on, is really important. The pain can be debilitating. So having something that can improve pain is hugely helpful, but also reducing disfigurement and making patients function more. You know, when patients see their clothes fit again, or they can go to a store and buy regular clothes, or when they see they can wrestle with their sibling, something they may not have been able to do before. Those are indeed really happy moments and We would like to do a lot more for our patients, but it's progress. All right. And so the progress then is that you found that this drug that was ineffective elsewhere does in fact shrink the tumors to a fair amount. Yes, it shrinks the tumors and also prevents them from growing. And so while we did not see complete disappearance of the tumor, as I said, it stops the tumors from growing and shrinks them, which helps the patients and provides clinical benefit. One thing we're doing now, which I'm very, very excited about, And we hope to start the treatment earlier in younger kids with these tumors before they have become very debilitating. So hopefully we can actually prevent the development of these problems. And That's a trial we're working on. Okay. And we should point out this is not your only job at the NCI. No, I do other things. So one area that I'm very much involved in is applying lessons learned from NF1 to other rare tumors. There are many rare tumors in children and adults where we don't have effective therapies. So we have an active program for children and adults with rare tumors. And then I'm also serving as the chief of the pediatric oncology branch and oversee a very wonderful group of colleagues, both with basic research interests, translational and clinical research interests. And our goal overall is to make better treatments for kids with cancer. And the clinical trials that we've described and some of the others that the NCI does, are the patients at NIH itself or do they do this remotely? For most of the clinical trials that we have, all of the treatment trials, the patients come 
to the NIH. They take their treatment every day at home, but they come through the NIH to be started. And then we bring them back to NIH to see if the drug works and what the side effects are. With the COVID pandemic, we are loosening up some things and patients can do more things at home. And for some trials, patients can enroll remotely from the home. And just briefly, what is your background? What made you choose a research career in oncology and at the NIH of all places? I got my training. I'm, I'm from Germany and I did my pediatric residency training there and really wanted to go into oncology and then learned that there was a fellowship program at the NIH, something we didn't have at that time in Germany. And what really intrigued me was the closeness of the bench to the bedside the ability to do clinical research. And I've never regretted um, coming here. It's the best place to do clinical research and advanced therapies for kids. Dr. Brigitte Wiedemann is Senior Investigator and Chief of the Pediatric Oncology Branch of the National Cancer Institute. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. And she's a finalist in this year's Service to America Medals program. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy. with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything, and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more 
because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, Absolutely. Um, What I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to, to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that, I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters 
um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing, if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.